And so I spent a lot of time with my partner just exploring my sexuality, not only my sexuality with with him and what I enjoyed, but also with women. I'm Christine Marie Mason, author, Yogi Mama, and I'm devoted to bringing more freedom alive in the world. This is the Rose Woman Pod, where we are on a journey together from taboo to liberation. And today, my guest is journalist and author Nicole Hodges, who is going to tell us a story of not only the very careful unwinding of sexual lockup and getting into the body, but then how she is taking her own learning and changing paradigms that are pretty well entrenched, like losing your virginity, not a real thing, but somehow we believe it is. She's flipped that on its head. What's the healthy masculine? She's flipped that on its head. Well, why don't we just let her tell her story? I start by asking Nicole, how did you personally get into this work? Sure, I can give you I can give you a little story. Um, I think one of the most poignant ones that I can think of because it's uh, I get chills every time I tell it is how I started deconstructing for myself what it meant to be a sexually liberated woman and the things I had to let go that I thought were keeping me safe or that had kept me safe for so long and I got to a point in my life where I realized uh, they were actually working against me and it all boils down to really two fundamental moments the moment that created the need for change within me um, and then the moment that I that I kind of accepted that and let it go. And the first one was when I was standing in my kitchen when I was 15 years old and I was looking at my mom who was who was yelling at me. Um, my mom was quite a mercurial, uh, tumultuous woman. And I remember looking at her and it almost was like she moved in slow motion. And I'm sure my brain is hyperbolizing this image a little bit, but I felt like I saw like veins popping out of her neck and she looked like she was foaming at the mouth. And I looked at her and in this acute moment, I said to myself, if I do everything the opposite of you, I'll be happy. And to me, that meant putting so much of myself in a box because I started to associate any form of chaos with my mother. And so I you know, didn't do drugs and I graduated from school and I pursued a career and I, I, I kind of created a checklist for myself of these very strict parameters around who I was allowed to be so that I didn't become my mother. But what I didn't realize was that by putting these restrictions on myself, um, you know, and I'm sure you know this as well, but our sexuality is so intertwined with so many other areas of our life and it's such a potent life force. It's almost like roots for women that 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 go and touch all these other areas and we can draw from it but when we deny that for ourselves and when I deny that for myself I didn't realize how it was draining me and so I had come up with this arbitrary number and I think this plays into sexual debut and virginity and purity culture as well but I came up with this arbitrary number of something that would keep me safe and the number was originally five I won't sleep with more than five people in my entire life and I was in a seven-year relationship for most of my late teens, early 20s, which which contributed to making that a possibility. And then I said, okay, it's going to be 10 people and, and, and I'll be taken seriously as a woman and I won't be chaotic and I won't be perceived in the wrong way if I only sleep with 10 people my entire life. When I started to really deconstruct where that was coming from, that feeling of needing to be in control of my sexuality was coming from a place of fear. And there came a day where... I wanted to let that go. 
and I had to do a lot of inner child work. And, and the, the second moment, the one that I alluded to at the beginning of this story where I had to let that narrative go was the day that I met myself in my mind. I met my 15-year-old self at this gate in my mind and there was this wide open field and this this gate where you could clearly go around either side but it was there and it was blocking my way. And my 15-year-old self was standing at that gate and I walked up to her and I said, this promise that we made, you've kept me safe for so long but I've got this now. I'm, I'm safe. I can take care of us. And I need to start letting go of this shame that I'm feeling because by trying so hard not to be somebody else, I'm actually losing out on an opportunity to figure out who I am. And I had that conversation with my 15 year old self and the gate disappeared. And I walked into this, I kind of describe it like a, like a field of flowers. And I realized how much space there is on the other side of shame. I mean, that's a beautiful coming full circle. And when you when you speak about the control over your sexuality and sort of these arbitrary numbers that you placed on it, was that something that your mother had held with herself? Was she living in a way that was open sexually and you were trying to counteract that? Or was she living in a way that was like just really angry about sex and trying to keep you in a state where you weren't really engaging in it? Like, what was that dynamic? What what message did you learn from her that made you take the sexuality and put it in a box? I feel like it was this energy that I couldn't place. And it was this, it was this explosive volcanic anger. But there were little fissures that would that would pop up that had to do with sexuality in a way that was enough for me to be afraid of the whole picture of any kind of turbulent, potentially mm-hmm. chaotic emotion. And, you know, there, a, a couple of things like getting a condom thrown at me and being told to use this when I was 14. And I, that was the end of my sex talk. Or uh, my friends and I took kind of like sexy photos in a sauna that, um, that we had in our house. And my mom drove to my high school and chased me through the school, yelling at me that I was a slut for taking these photos. And it was just my friends and I in our bathing suits kind of goofing around just being, you know, 16 year old girls. Um, So for me, anything that would give my mom the chance to harm me in a way, I was like, that can't happen. So I need to be super, super straight edge in order to stay safe. Mm. Good girls don't get screamed at. No, no, they don't. I mean, they still sometimes do, but I think you you have a propensity then to mitigate risk as often as possible. I mean, I got in trouble in other ways. I, I definitely turned to drinking too much at a young age, but I understand now that that was me just screaming out, please love me. It's a, such a powerful narrative. Thank you so much for sharing that. This I'm really touched by this piece of this turbulent volcanic energy that is part of our sexual life that can get misidentified with um, with anger or power. And that particularly coming of age as a woman where it's none of those emotions are really accepted. You as a powerful, strong force out in the world or you as a wild, chaotic creatrix or even as a, a justifiably angry uh, spiritual person, you know, like, this is not right, those kinds of things. Um, I love the taking away the the flavor of it and just speaking to it as an energy. I mean, also, I just want to say I'm sorry that happened to you and that 
I know that just by you telling that story, that someone who's listening, who has that tendency to project something onto their daughter that was projected onto them or places where they don't have control, will hear that and go, oh my God, am I doing that? How do I stop? Or that someone who you know, is experiencing that can go, oh no, no, that's not right. That's not a correct relation between a parent and a child. That's not nurturing, compassionate, connecting. So, you know, thank you for telling the story. So you're you're in this, you're you're doing this work and you're and you and you the gate opens and there's this field where you can meet yourself. And what is it like to then say, hey, maybe it's more than 10, or maybe there's no number. Maybe it's about being in my authentic expression. What came next? A long time of reconnecting with my body, um, because I don't think I realized that, again, in putting myself into a box or having these limitations or having this gate exist for so long, I didn't feel connected to my body. I spent a lot of time in my mind. I spent a lot of time uh, in an intellectual pursuit because I felt like staying above my eyes and, and, and learning constantly or, or constantly doing was who I was. And now I had the opportunity to experience something completely different, which is who is Nicole when Nicole is embodied. And so I spent a lot of time uh, with my partner just exploring um, my sexuality not only my sexuality with with him and what I enjoyed, but also with women, which is something that I was always drawn to since I was young, but then felt that I couldn't explore because again, it would get me into trouble. So I didn't. And uh, I found somebody who was patient with me and who touched me slowly and who expanded the scope of what I constituted as sex and made uh, made really room for my life to be sensual and erotic. And I really needed that. I really needed deep healing. Um, and that really did come through another person saying that they accepted me fully, even as I was in the messy beginning phases of relearning what it meant to be in a body at the age of, you know, I think t- about 28, 29 at that point. Did you do uh, other practices for embodiment like dance or... I mean, I wouldn't say I didn't go into anything. I think I just started living differently. Mm. It was hard to drop into my body. Uh, there was a lot of trauma stored in my body in places that I didn't, I didn't know was there. Um, I went away for a weekend. It was it was kind of this like quote witches gathering, and we did an hour long meditation under the full moon. This was around Halloween, and I came back and had to sleep for three days. Because being around that many women in such an accepting way and dancing under the moonlight and screaming and howling, these are these are things that I had not allowed myself to to do previously. So even something like that, I just started saying yes to things that my former self probably would have said no to. There are so many parallels in our story. Um, mine tends to be like I was raised by my dad. And so he also taught me that the female was chaotic and not to be that way. And I came to women's circles and things much later in life. Just last night, as a matter of fact, I went with the the Monday, every other Monday, there's a women's circle here. And we went to these hot ponds down the road. 
and it's late and there's a half moon and it's illuminated and everybody's naked and they're floating in the hot ponds and singing songs in these like beautiful feminine harmonies. And I thought, (laughs) I'm not going to get choked up actually right now. I thought it was like one of the most exquisite moments I'd ever experienced to be held in a healthy circle of women who were just in praise was just beautiful. So thank you. I'm with you on that journey. How did you get to creating this platform on sexual debut? And I, you know, I've read some of your stuff and you were talking about virginity isn't like a one-time thing. I mean, it's much more complex than it would seem at first glance. So can you speak a little bit to both the concept of losing your virginity, virginity, and then how sexual debut stands as a paradigm shift in that way? Virginity to me already carries with it the implication of losing something, right? We, we say virginity, but what we really mean is losing your virginity. It, it has its, it has a baked in connotation. It comes, you know, perfectly packaged with its, with its own sentence. And, and therefore, when you say the word virginity, you are implying that there is something that this person can lose, which is the, the antithesis of empowerment and really the when we're talking about autonomy when we're talking about choices when we're talking about empowering women we have to go back to a place where we're talking to young girls because we don't want to have only be having these conversations about sexual empowerment later in life we need to start examining the language that we're using early on and virginity is really what i can as far as i can see kind of the earliest indicator that her life might be different than his life if we're if we're using binary. So I started looking at well what does virginity mean and we both know it's it's a concept and it's an idea and it's a form of control. But I don't think people tend to change their minds when you tell them what not to do. So it can't just be about let's no longer use the term virginity. It needed to be replaced by an updated term that had this feeling of liberation baked into it in the same way that oppression is built into the word virginity. So sexual debut is a positive alternative that is a celebration of a moment, a pinnacle moment, where you feel most like yourself in relation to your sexuality. And that can happen in many ways, at many times, at any age throughout your life. And so what I want to do with virginity is not just let go of the word, but let go of the pressure that we put on a first time. Because even when we think about something being a first time, we are automatically still putting emphasis on that you are one way before it happens and one way after it happens. But much like I I like to look at a, a a career path as more like a river and less like a ladder, I want the journey and the process of self-discovery to be the message that we're giving that you become yourself over and over and over again if you have the bravery to pursue that. And if a celebration is attached to it, and if you get cake in the same way that birthdays are a rite of passage and you get cake there, then people, I think, are going to be more inclined to have a shift in mindset. I love it. I also like this idea, like even when you have your debut in any other context, whether it's like a socialite debut or on the stage or whatever it happens to be, there's all this preparation and timeline where you're developing your skills and, and you know, you and when you finally step out, it's like you actually have something that you're like, ta-da, <laughs> you know. So there's the whole component of it that 
implies that there's a warm-up and a practice period um, where you get to know yourself. Exactly. And, I, and I, I've drawn comparisons to that the feeling that you get when you are walking down a street and you have your headphones on and, and a song comes on. It's just all of a sudden makes the whole world around you feel like you're in your own music video. And you're almost ready to kind of like bust a move on the street. You don't really care who's watching because it's like you're in your own world. And the reason I drew that, drew that comparison is because it doesn't have to be a song that you've never heard before. And it doesn't have to be a song that you've heard a hundred times, but all of a sudden it just feels different. And you're like, yeah, this is my jam. And that's what a sexual debut should feel like. It's like whether or not there's a lead up and there's practice or whether or not you just do something and you're kind of just like wowed by your own moment. It's that feeling where you're just so yourself. And that's, that's the celebration. That's worth celebrating. A moment where you feel just so yourself in relation to your sexuality. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you. I think that didn't happen until I was like 45. I hate to tell you. <laughs> and that was after like having a gazillion kids and doing all these things. But then I was like, oh, this is, this is what like, ooh, that feels right. Beautiful. Do you have, here I have a question about the languaging. On debut, debut still has like an audience connotation. But I, I experience it more like a debut to myself. I was letting myself finally see myself. I don't know. That sounds sort of metaphysical. No, I, I love it. I think I think that's that's true. I don't think the de- I don't think the debut has to necessarily be for anyone else, unless of course the debut happens to have some voyeuristic undertones to it, and then power to you. But it's like a coming of age, coming of out. Like you said, it's it's you to yourself, and I think that's the mm-hmm. beauty of it. And and I've from the beginning, I've always said. Sexual debut doesn't have to be where we end up, but I want virginity to be what we start moving away from. I love this. So tell me how have people reacted? Have you gotten stories or responses from people that have surprised you? I spend so much of my time reading people's messages and just crying in a park. (laughs) I am so deeply moved so often by (laughs) the messages that I get. Um, of people feeling like they want to just share a sexual debut. And a lot of questions too, though, around if you were sexually assaulted for your first time, is that a sexual debut? And the answer is no, that's that's sexual assault. And because a sexual debut is fundamentally a choice that you've made and it's something that's worth celebrating, which I think, again, is really empowering if we do look at people who, and I'll use the archaic term, lost their virginity, that happened from a sexual assault, they actually get to reclaim whatever it is that they that they feel like was taken from them in that moment with a sexual debut, because they get to choose when that happens again, and in the way that they want it to. So when I hear stories like that, that really touches me. I just want to reiterate this piece about the debut is when you're in your own power and making a choice and that that can happen multiple times. There was a woman I knew who was doing ritual with women who were reclaiming their own uh, center after promiscuity or after multiple relationships um, that were not choiceful. And she did like a ritual of removing threads that were staying in your body and pulling them out of you and so that you could reclaim your wholeness and integrity uh, and then come into choice about how you behaved next. But this idea that 
we make a choice or we are in a situation where we're not in choice, but we're going along with it. And that that has to define who we are for the rest of our lives. That that is not true. You can be reborn in yourself at any moment. Absolutely. And I think it's important. That's why I keep reiterating that your sexual debut does not depend on another person. It does not depend on another person. It does not depend on penetration. It can happen many times in many ways throughout your life at any age. It's your choice. Beautiful. So you're also working on another pretty big platform idea, men who take baths. And first of all, I bow to you for not for like looking at how both of the these things are so deeply interrelated, like the masculine perception of what is masculine and, you know, that you're doing both sides at once. I just love that. So can you talk a little bit about that project? Sure. Yeah. It, it kind of is something funny that I read at one point was that men are not the enemy. They're simply untrained allies. And when I look at masculinity and through the hundreds of interviews that I've done with men, I've come to notice a pattern, which is that masculinity is purpose-driven. We have an opportunity as women in our power to tell the masculine what it is that we tolerate from them and set the standard that then they will adhere to. But we can't just be the ones saying this is what we want. Men have to also hold one another accountable and take responsibility for the co-creation of that new masculinity that they want. So when men are told that women are the other and the other is weak, that we use derogatory terms like losing your virginity, which does imply that one can take something from the other, therefore one is more powerful, powerful or beholden to the other. Or when we use terms like don't be a pussy, which means don't be weak. Men are starting to believe, or have believed rather, that this other part of themselves, the feminine, that which makes them whole, is inherently weaker. But if we can help men heal that, which in Jungian psychology, the immersion into the bath is the immersion, in, immersion into the subconscious, and one goes into the subconscious in order to become whole and complete. And in the myth of Odysseus, uh, the goddess Circe, who's the feminine archetype, bathes Odysseus in a bath and through this act actually helps him reconnect with his feminine psyche, with his other aspect of himself. And so he emerges from the bath whole. With everything that I'm doing, both with uh, Girls Who Say Fuck, which is the producer of Sexual Debut, and Men Who Take Baths, it's all about healing the divide. It's making sure that we never lose the ability to connect with one another and to feel whole within ourselves by reconciling the, the pain, really, and the wounding that we have around the masculine or the feminine. So in a, in a sentence, men who take baths is when I put men in bubble baths and I interview them about what it means to be a man. The last one I saw, there's a super... I'm going to objectify him for a moment. A super hunky guy with tattoos talking about his psychedelic integration. And it's just so charming and so, you know, dissonant from what I expect. And I I just, I was like in love with you and him at the same moment. Um, this is beautiful. How do you know about Jungian psychology and Odysseus and all that stuff? What was your, what was your training in that? 
oh, I do not have training in that. This was the coolest encounter that I've had uh, in the last few months. I was on Clubhouse, which is a audio drop-in app and running my Men Who Take Baths Club. And someone came in and overheard me talking about Men Who Take Baths. And I had this huge message when I got out of that conversation saying, do you realize that you are fundamentally following the myth of Odysseus? Like, line by line and I was like I have no idea what you're talking about so me and this person and um, Flynn Skidmore who's our men who take baths facilitator and a psychotherapist got on a call with this with this guy for about an hour and a half and he's writing a book about PTSD and veterans and healing and he's using uh, mythology as a as a healing modality for these men who are who are suffering from from traumatic experiences and he basically said you've been his words like you've been granted permission by the gods to do this work i was following my intuition completely from the moment i conceptualized men who take baths i i say it landed in my brain with such certainty that it felt more like a memory of something i had already done and not an idea of something uh -huh. that i still had to do amazing story i love clubhouse you should also try quilt which is a an audio app that is focused on these richer supportive conversations um not it doesn't it doesn't i love clubhouse but it also has all that bitcoin and entrepreneurial self-promotion stuff going on so this one's much more like you know mutuality i have a gift for you then if you haven't read it already have you read a thousand ships i have not it's a novel by natalie haynes and it's re it's pretty recent but she retells the entire story from the perspective of the women in the story of Odysseus. Gosh, you're kidding me. It's like completely mind-blowing. She takes the position of each of the sacrificed girls and each of the dethroned queens and, and the woman who's left behind and the goddesses. And like, and you really see like how those stories completely made these women like side characters and there's no sort of compassion or like dwelling in their being and and their complexity and their dreams and uh, oh my god it was so good we read it aloud to each other at night and i was like ah, i didn't even want to go to sleep so a thousand ships my book review of the day <laughs> so i will call you nicole cersei hodges <laughs> i have my halloween costume picked out already that's your new handle well, I can't believe we're coming up by half an hour already. Uh, so thrilling. Is there something you want to add or tell people about uh, related to these movements? Or maybe even if you had a magic wand where you could wave it and create more liberation and freedom in someone who's listening, what would you want to say? Oh, thank you for that. I am such a believer in process. And I'm also a strong proponent for uh, following your intuition and I know that can be really scary so something that I used to do that I would encourage um, especially women to do is I used to do these things called day of yes and I would put on a backpack and I would put some things in the bag food uh, warm clothes and I would head out I would leave my place and I would make every single decision based on intuition for the entire day down to whether I turned left or right on a street, whether I went into a place or not, whether I engaged in a conversation with someone or not. And what this did over time was that small little voice started becoming stronger the more I listened to it. And I started to be able to differentiate between what was something that my head was telling me and what was something that my intuition was telling me. And I've always had this belief that our intuition is our future self whispering back to us. And so when you give that voice a chance to be stronger 
when you're floating down this river of life and your paddle's in the air and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, you can, you can come back to self and you can trust. And every astute moment of bravery is usually followed by this, this tiny, tiny moment of clarity where in that uncertainty for a moment you can see. Thank you so much for that. This is such a beautiful exercise in tuning into genuine desire. Mm -hmm. So everyone who's listening, one unscheduled day on your calendar, tiny backpack. Should I go left? Should I go right? You know. What do I desire? You know. You know. Nicole, you wrote a Dr. Seuss style book on orgasms. That is so inappropriate, okay? How can you taint Dr. Seuss with, oh, oh, oh? (laughs) This book is called The Places You'll Go, Oh, Oh. (laughs) Oh, my God. Tell us about this book. Listen, Dr. Seuss is universally loved because he was able to weave deep philosophical truths into seemingly simple rhymes. And when I was looking at the... (laughs) at how big sexuality is. And you and I were talking about this at the beginning. It's like, it's a big ball of yarn and you try to pull one thread and it just keeps going and going and going. I was like, how can I make this fun and interesting? And I I, I studied Dr. Seuss for about a year and I decided that this was going to be the right avenue to distill truths about our sexuality and the power of pleasure into a form that was digestible and not just digestible, but also fun. Um, I believe that laughter is like smoke that can seep under doors of closed minds. And this book takes seven minutes to read from cover to cover. And if you see it sitting on someone's coffee table and you pick it up, it might just seem like it's a funny little rhyming book, but it's something that you're going to think about. It's something that's going to stick in your mind and it's going to make you feel something. And that's really what this is. It's about starting conversation and it's about having people um, feel something. And so that's what this book is. It's, it's seemingly cute, but it's deadly. Oh my God. That could describe you. Cute, but deadly. No, that's cute. Okay. Maybe I'll go in Clubhouse and I'll do a dramatic reading. Ooh, that's <laughs> Just read it out loud. Okay. No, they probably won't let that happen. All right. Um, we're going to give away a copy of this book. I just ordered it. I ordered two copies. We're going to give away a copy of this book and uh, to the first person who tells their story of sexual debut their yeah of their of their sexual debut to the first pers- first person who lifts shifts their story um from losing their virginity to sexual debut and tags us both in it we're going to give this book away wonderful yeah and uh, so, let me know who wins um i will i will personally sign a copy for them oh you're so wonderful thank you for spending time with us i appreciate you this is great so amazing yeah my heart feels all types of things thank you so much for joining nicole and me today I am so happy to be doing a giveaway of a signed copy of her book. Like I said, it's called The Orgasm Book. It's Dr. Seuss style, and she's going to send a personal message to the first person who tells a story of converting their old idea of losing something, losing their virginity, into a time when they came into their first true expression of their own sexual agency or their sexual debut. So tell a little story and tag us on Instagram at Rosebud Woman, and at Sexual Debut. And let's see what happens. I'm so 
thrilled to be listening for everyone's stories. I'm the Rose Woman, Christine Marie Mason, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.